0: Oh, yeah.
1: How does that fit in to a cohesive, larger
0: vision?
2: We will always have enough cash yeah. around. Strictly business. Business.
1: Just business. Hello, finance leaders, and welcome to CFO Year, your new favorite finance podcast. I'm Patrick, and I interview CFOs and finance experts with some very particular sets of skills. Today, I'm speaking with Ian Schnorr. In 2017, Ian co-founded the Financial Modeling Institute, where he oversees the organization's strategic direction. He's also founder of the Marquee Group, a leading provider of financial modeling training, consulting, and accreditation. Over the last 20 years, Ian has taught thousands of business professionals and university students around the world. Ian teaches at Queen's University in Canada and is a recipient of the Instructor of the Year Award in the Master of Finance program at the Smith School of Business. Previously, Ian spent a number of years in the investment banking departments at Citigroup and BMO Capital Markets. In this episode, Ian delivered a mini masterclass in financial modeling. No matter how skilled or experienced you are with spreadsheets and financial statements, you'll find something special in the next 30 minutes. I promise. Today's episode is brought to you by Spendesk, the all-in-one spending solution that puts finance teams in control with 100% visibility into company spend. And by CFO Connect, a global community for finance leaders. Join us at cfoconnect.com and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.com with any questions or feedback. Ian Schnorr, welcome to CFO Yeah.
2: Thanks, Patrick. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: And as we
2: love to do, uh, please just introduce yourself to the CFO Connect community. Fantastic. Love to do that. I'll try and keep it as brief as I can. (laughs) I uh, have a business education, business background. I'm here in Canada and started my career many years ago as an investment banker, worked on classic mergers and acquisitions and financing for companies. And um, at the time, this was the late 90s, I was a guy involved in doing lots of financial modeling. But these were very early days of financial modeling, early days of spreadsheet capabilities. And it felt like a bit of the Wild West. People were making it up as they went. And I didn't really like the way things were. So I kept trying to push the envelope. I like to push and say, how can we make models better, more elegant, more use usable? Uh, So I spent a number, uh, you know, about six years in banking. And then I left 20 years ago and started a business called the Marquee Group that provides training. And we provide training all over the world in financial modeling. So I have taught thousands, tens of thousands of people all over the world, financial modeling, And more recently, about five years ago, I was involved with some people internationally at building a separate organization called the Financial Modeling Institute, the FMI, which is focused purely on accreditation for modeling, for validating people's modeling skills. Think of it like an accounting designation, like CPA or ACCA for financial modeling or CFA for financial modeling, because nothing like that exists right now.
1: Well, I mean, the answer to this might be obvious, but why do people need that accreditation?
2: That's an excellent question. Um, And the answer is, and I'll tell you a quick story here. The answer is because so many people's financial models are a mess. They're a disaster. Modeling is and has become one of the most important skills for accounting and finance professionals. It's its own discipline. It's its own skill. It's its own discipline. Um, And yet there's no requirement. There's no rigor. There's no expectation on who can do it or what background that they have. Um, and, And there's huge ranges of inconsistency in skill, in in what you're going to receive from, uh, from someone who builds a model. So we believe that it's critical to have, uh, you know, a, a bar that, that determines that people have the skills. You know, a quick example, if I used to work on mergers and acquisitions transactions all the time, and you think about a classic M&A deal, uh, one company buys another. So who's involved in a deal like that. well, you're gonna have bankers, bankers will run the process and build models, but you also have lawyers, you have engineers that will be involved in due diligence. You're gonna have accountants doing the accounting work. You might have actuaries involved in evaluating pension plans. Every single one of those professionals that's involved in a deal has a a university education and some sort of external validation and accreditation to demonstrate they actually have the skills to do their job, their accounting, their law. except for the banker, except for the person building the model, which is one of the most important pieces in the entire deal. It can set the stage for what you end up paying for the value that's ascribed. And it can be way off. There can be all sorts of errors. And the, the banker might've hired, you know, a junior person out of college, out of university with very little experience and and tapped them on the shoulder to build the model. And it might be riddled with errors. Uh, and so we believe that there's an absolute necessity for People to have validation to prove that they have these skills.
1: And that's why the FMI was created in general, not just for the certification purposes, but to recognize and to upskill people in financial modeling.
2: Yeah, our mission is to uh, ensure that modeling becomes a globally recognized discipline and that people have a recognized skill. You know, what started happening about 10 years ago, because I said modeling is so important, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I know that a lot of your listeners would have. Around 10 years ago, when we started dreaming up the FMI, Uh, we started noticing, it was partly because we noticed a change. And the change was this on job postings. When, 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 when big organizations around the world would post for jobs, they used to say, we're looking for a CFA or an accountant or a CPA or whatever it was. They were, they would say an MBA. They would say that around 10 years ago, they started saying all those things. We want a business student or an MBA. And, and they started adding an, and, and we want people who have proven financial modeling skills. That was a big change. And there are so many job postings that will say, we want this person, this person, this person, these skills, these qualifications, and strong modeling skills. But you notice the reason they have to say we want strong modeling skills is because there is no way for people, there was no way for people to prove that they had strong modeling skills. And we're hoping to change that. So we're hoping in 10 years from now, or in sometime in the future, those organizations will not say we want strong modeling skills. They'll say we want someone with, an AFM, which is our first level accreditation, because that's what they're looking for.
1: Have you noticed as well an uptick in the last couple of years, I'm of course referring to COVID, um, in the necessity for businesses to have more accurate or more up-to-date forecasts and models?
2: Yeah, I mean we've noticed an uptick in organizations. I I, I noticed a st- I started noticing a major uptick and a change in terms of rigor and quality and expectation around the last financial crisis around, you know, 07, 08, 09. Mm. Um there was a lot of volatility, there were a lot of errors, there were some real um horror stories of of spreadsheets that went bad. There's a there's a story from the Barclays uh the Le- the Barclays acquisition of Lehman back in 08 when Lehman collapsed that Barclays overpaid by around you know multi, many billions of dollars because of a spreadsheet error. If you Google that, you'll find the press release on it. Um, and that wasn't a modeling error, but having strong discipline around spreadsheets and building models is key. So right around that time, we noticed an increase in demand for skills um, mm-hmm. but skills go hand in hand with validation. It's one thing, so, you know, on the training business that I started 20 years ago, and we're seeing huge demand for people to take our courses at the Marquee Group. It's great, but it's there's a lot of demand for training, but training is, is great, but it's only as good as the person going into it wants to take it. So I can spend a day or two and teach you everything you need to know, but I will never know if you are a good modeler unless you can prove it to me. Just because you take a course doesn't mean anything. People take courses all the time. You can take a course in photography, a course in cooking. It doesn't actually mean you're going to be any good at it unless you go out and practice and do it over and over and over again and then validate to someone you've got those skills. And so we believe that organizations want those skills. And so there are lots of training firms around the world that teach modeling, but there's no other organization in the world that's validate rigorously validate. And when I say that, there are organizations that will let you get like a quick multiple choice test and give you a badge. But that doesn't mean much in our mind. Um, the FMI is the only organization that has rigorous proctored. Our exams are proctored. They're four hours long. You actually have to build up a full integrated model with no external resources. Um, very difficult, very rigorous. And when people get it, it really means something.
1: And now to, you you mentioned the maki group in your introduction to turn now to, that and the work you're doing there, that's you going into companies and providing this financial modeling.
2: Yeah, so that, yeah, exactly. So at the Marquee Group, I have a team, you know, there's around 20, 25 of us. And we get, most of our, uh, most of our training is a B2B. We get brought in directly by, well, financial service organizations, banks, pension funds, asset managers, lending organizations. And they will bring us in to run a wide range of training offering, we will teach them modeling is our flagship, but we have all sorts of modeling courses. But we do courses on accounting. We teach a lot of Excel courses, just hardcore advanced Excel, managing data in Excel. We run a wide range of valuation courses. How do you think about valuing companies? So, we will h- offer a full suite of content that you know uh, that finance professionals need to, to increase their skills, and that's great. But a a client never wants to use their training provider as the organization that can truly attest and validate the skills. It's a conflict of interest. Obviously, as a training firm, we're motivated to say, sure, everyone's great, because obviously if they're not, well, then you didn't do a very good job training them, did you? So that's why we have a separate organization with a separate board and a separate, uh, completely separate that does the, the, the accreditations through the FMI.
0: If you're enjoying this conversation, then you've got to check out CFO Connect the global community for modern finance leaders like the ones on this podcast. We host monthly events and workshops, have a private Slack group for CFOs and a one-on-one member matching program. CFO Connect membership is free, but reserved for experienced finance leaders. So if that's you, head over to cfoconnect.eu and apply to join us.
1: And as as part of that work and in, in my my research for this interview, uh, I came across then um, a sentence that mm. that you've used, yeah, which is that spreadsheet-based financial models are the most important decision-making tools in modern finance. Yeah. I wonder if you
2: could uh, unpack that for us. Yeah, absolutely. I say that all the time. So you're right. I I can agree. <laughs> I have said that. I say that all the time. It is true. Spreadsheet-based. Um, tools have become the most important decision-making tools in modern finance. And what that means is that is at the end of the day, the reality is um, spreadsheets are still likely the number one based tool that organizations use to make decisions. Well, let me say a couple of things. First of all, financial models have become the most important decision-making tools in modern finance. And because we make so many decisions on the backs of spreadsheets, people make decisions on their budgeting, on their operating plans, on hiring and firing, um, they make decisions on MA, on acquisitions, they make decisions on just doing internal valuations, uh, organic growth decisions, so much of our decision-making, credit decisions, lending decisions on the backs of financial models, and, you know, and most, so many of them that are built are a mess, hard to use, hard to read, hard to follow, uh, often have errors in them. There is really only two ways to, uh, there's only two types of tools that exist to make decisions. There are spreadsheet based tools, which is just like a whiteboard. It's just like a white piece of paper and you do whatever you want with it. I'm sure you've used spreadsheets plenty of times. The other option, if you're not gonna use a spreadsheet is to use what we call some sort of black box software, some sort of a packaged software application. And I gotta tell you, that's great. And and some of them work well but they never give you the flexibility that you want. So every organization that we teach in that does use some black box software for planning or forecasting, you go deep into those companies and you will find out every single person there will say to you, yeah, but but we still download the data and we put it into Excel and Mm. we play with it because we can't do what we need to, right? How many of your listeners have heard that? Yeah, but we still have to download the data into Excel. And that's the reality um, to really get the, the customized, Your boss says, yeah, but can you run this and play with that? And tell me what happens if we change this? Well, your black box tool sometimes can't do that. Usually can't, so you still have to. And and so we are beholden massive decisions on the backs of spreadsheets and, and modeling tools. And it's so critical that they're working and that they're designed well. I also will say that they have to be beautiful. It's not a word you hear very often in the world of spreadsheets, but they've gotta be clear and beautiful so people can use them.
1: Just to go back to those black box solutions, is the issue there that they're just not good enough yet and and sooner or later we will be able to rely on them? Or is there something fundamental about the fact that you need to be able to go back to the whiteboard and have the numbers and analyze them?
2: No, it's a great question. Um, I actually don't think it has, I I think many of them are very good. I think they're very good for what they're trying to do. You know, many years ago, uh, a lot of clients predicted to me the end of Excel, the end of spreadsheets. And they started to say to me things like, we within our bank or within our organization are going to forbid people. We're going to restrict them and not let them use spreadsheets. And we're going to force them to use black box software. The reason you might think that in that way is because because of the risk of errors, right? Obviously, you know, Mm. there's a risk of a formula error. And so I get that. Uh, If you're at the very top, if you're a senior executive, you want to avoid risk of someone making a mistake. And I get that. Uh, so that's why a lot of black box software was born. But the flip side, the corollary is also true. When you're using black box software, by definition, you don't have flexibility. That's why they're designed. They can do exactly what they can do. But there's no black, there's no software suite that can do anything you want. That can mm-hmm. dream up. How many of your listeners have have bosses that dream up ideas all the time? I, let's think about, th- let's analyze this or that. Of course, your your software can't change on the fly. So the only tool that we really have to manage dreamers and to manage idea generation on the fly is a piece of white paper. And a piece of white paper in finance language is a, is a spreadsheet that we can do whatever we want with. Um, and so I don't think they're going anywhere. In fact, we're seeing a, a a rebound now more and more than ever. So I think the solution is continue to use your spreadsheets in Excel or whichever, whichever spreadsheet you're using, but understand and, and elevate the level of discipline, elevate the level of process, uh, and understand the skill set so that when people are doing it, there's no errors and they're doing it well. And it effectively is like a piece of software that they've built mm. in Excel.
1: And that way, I imagine you can still be reactive and still communicate in real time and efficiently with with within companies. You're not... You're not you don't have to be slowed down just because you're working in spreadsheets.
2: Absolutely not. In fact, it's usually the opposite. You can usually work much more quickly if you're working in spreadsheets because you can change them real time. If they've been mm. sorry, if they have been built and designed well. How many of your listeners have uh, we get clients that say this to us all the time. I've had CFOs call me and say, "Ian, I don't understand. I asked my team to make a change to our model, to change to change inflation in the model. They told me it's going to take a week and a half to get me the results. I'm like, how's that? Po-? And they say to me, Ian, how's that possible that they need a week and a half to change the, the inflation forecast? And you know, I always laugh and say, well, that should it should take them about five seconds. In fact, they should have the answer before you're, in, you're even finished saying it. But I understand mm-hmm. why it takes a week and a half. It's because- the the inflation is not entered in one spot. There's probably, you know, seven, you know, 75 Excel models that all link together that have inflation. Each one has it entered in different spots. So they probably need to change it in numerous places, then run a bunch of tests and checks to make sure it's working and flowing through properly. And they, cause they don't want to give you the wrong answer. So yeah, they're, 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 it's terribly designed, poorly organized. And, and, and that's why it does take a long time. I understand it, but it's not optimal.
1: All right, you very kindly offered to, um, to give our listeners some actionable takeaways, and so I really yeah. want to move into that phase of the podcast now. Yeah, sure. Although I'm going to start with a question that I'm not sure how you're going to answer, so I'm really excited about the answer, oh, which is simply, what is the right cadence for financial forecasting?
2: Well, that's an excellent question. You, I assume you're talking about timing periods. Yes. Uh-huh. An excellent question. I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna kind of back up before I answer that one. Um, you know, usually when I talk, uh, usually when I talk about you know tips, and we're gonna leave some takeaways. Um, you want me to get into some quick tips and, tips and takeaways that people can share and think about. Uh, and again, if they want more, I'm happy to come back and discuss more with you because there's lots I could go on for hours here. But, uh, <laughs> but um, what I would say to people first as a starting point is people often say to me, how do I know if my model's working well? How do I know if my spreadsheet model is actually performing well? Because, you know, um, I, I will walk, I can walk through dozens of, of common pitfalls, common errors that people make, and the cadence that you've asked is one of them. Um, and so the, the, people say, how do I know if, I, I feel like it's okay, it seems okay, how do I know if my spreadsheet's working? Well, I tell people there's always two tests, two criteria, that's it. If you want to know if a spreadsheet is working well, if a model is working well, It has to achieve these two tests. If it does, it was probably a pretty good model. If it does not, it can be better. Most models that I ever encounter in the world don't achieve either of these criteria. Sometimes they do one. The two criteria are as follows. Number one... I always tell people a good model, a good spreadsheet-based tool has to work well electronically. So what I mean by that is this, Patrick, if you were my boss and you said, Ian, can you go build a model to evaluate a new opportunity and some sort of opportunity for our business? And I did, and I went away for a week and I built something and I emailed it to you. And you opened it up on a Saturday morning when you had some time and you were going to play with the model. When you open up my spreadsheet, You should feel like as you go down cell to cell to cell and you click on formulas, you should feel like, huh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I can understand exactly what Ian's doing here. Every single cell, it's like telling me a story. I can follow it along every single step of the way and you're pleased and you're feeling comfortable and you understand it. And that, as you know, and I'm sure your listeners know, that does not happen. How, how many times, Patrick, have you ever seen a cell in a spreadsheet where you click on it and the formula is so long that it wraps around and around and around, right? And it goes on forever. Uh, surely you've seen that. Your listeners have seen that. Maybe they're thinking, oh, I've even done that once or twice that's classic. That is not optimal. That should never be that way because it makes it very difficult to understand, to read, and you can't communicate well off that. So um, number one, a good model has to work well electronically. And number two, I always tell people that a good model has to work well on paper or as a PDF, because even in this day and age, the vast majority of decision makers are going to make a decision based on looking at some sort of a, a printout on paper or a PDF, your senior executives are not going to get into the same spreadsheet together and start playing with cells and typing in numbers as they make a decision. That's not going to work. So those are the two kind of uh, high level evaluation tools. In order to do that, to make sure your models work those ways, it's critical to have a strong plan. And and people often don't plan. You know, it could walk through. There's a whole planning process we can go through, but you want it. but at the end of the day, planning forces you to ask lots of questions and about how the model should be built, how it should be designed. I often talk about optimal flow in models, optimal cadence, optimal level of uh, detail. And one of the uh, items that we always want to ask about if you're my boss is what you asked about is cadence, timing cadence what is the, you said, what's the optimal timing cadence? And I will tell you, uh, you said you weren't sure how I was going to answer it. I will tell you that there is no perfect answer, but the, but the, but the only right answer is you must ask the question because so often people um, get into much more detail. Um, We call this horizontal detail because it's running horizontally across the top. Usually the timing goes across the top of the spreadsheet and people will build in often more than they need. So for instance, let's say um, you said to me, Ian, let's do a five-year model. And I did a five-year model. But I thought, you know what? Patrick is probably gonna enjoy it if I build it for him monthly. So I build you a monthly five-year model instead of an annual model. Well, now suddenly I have 60 columns in my spreadsheet as opposed to five. And you didn't ask for that. Or um, Or maybe you did. Maybe you did say, Ian, build me a monthly model. And I said, okay. But I never bothered to say why do you, do we really need that? It adds so much more bulk to the file. The file gets so much bigger, potentially filled with errors, uh, as soon as you have more timing than you need. And so I always like to push and say, why? And you know what the most common answer I get um, when, when I ask why? People will say, oh, cause that's what we always do. Or we did it that way last time. Um, Maybe there's a good reason. Listen, if you have a good reason for me, if you have to say, oh, yeah, we need it monthly because we're watching seasonality and we're trying to capture, you know, trends in the summer and the winter. Uh, You know, our credit covenants are based on monthly. Sure, no problem. We'll build it monthly. But very often people do things only because that's what they've always done. Um, You know, maybe it's helpful to have one year monthly and the rest can be annual. That's fine Mm. too. There's always trade-offs. And the one last comment I'll make on timing issues that you... uh, on this topic is if you are going, listen, if you need to build part of the model monthly or quarterly, great. No problem, but make sure there's a good reason for it. Um, if the reason is simply, oh, that's what Patrick did last time, so I just assumed we would do it this time. Well, last time we had to measure seasonality for the bank credit covenants. This time that's not relevant. We don't need it to be that way this time. So ask a good question and you know, you'll know you come away with the right answer. Maybe you only need it annual and in that case is fine. It's, it's tough to change it after. Um, I would also say where we see a lot of issues and errors and pitfalls is the way people build. There's a word for it. We call it the periodicity of the model. Uh, I know it's a geeked out nerd word in modeling, but we call <laughs> it the model's periodicity, which means what? how much timing and periods do we have? So I'll give you an example, and maybe your listeners can relate to this. Very often, if someone builds, let's say a quarterly model, Here's the way they will commonly do it. And you tell me what you think happens. They'll build, let's imagine I'm going left to right in my spreadsheet. I would have a column that says Q1, my Q1 numbers, and the next column's Q2. Then the next column's Q3. Then Q4. What do you think the next column is after Q4? People do. Q1 again, Q1 the next year. That's the right answer. Excellent. Good. You should be a modeler. But that's not what people do. What people often do is they do this. I wonder how many of your listeners can relate to this or or laughing at seeing this. Very commonly people will build Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, and then annual. Then they have the annual column as the fifth column. Then they go, then they go Q1, 2, 3, 4, annual. One, two, three, four, annual. Sometimes they'll even go Q1, Q2, and then the next column is H1 half one the first half of the year so Q1 Q2 then mm. the first half total then Q3 Q4 and then annual that's a disaster having um the timing periods interspersed and not con- not uh consistent is a disaster we see errors all the time when people model that way um now if you want to summarize and build a summary sheet that says Q1 Q2 um H1, and then Q3, Q4, and then full year. Great, summarize it that way, but don't build it. When you build it, we need to build it the way you recommended, which is Q1, 2, 3, 4, and then Q1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4. The problem with going Q1, 2, 3, 4 annual, 1, 2, 3, 4 annual, as you can imagine, is that every fifth column is something different right? Every fifth column is your annual, which is no longer building the model. The fifth column is just summing to the left. It's just adding horizontally to the left. That means you can never take a formula in the spreadsheet and drag it all the way across because every fifth column, you've got to stop and do something different. So anytime I ever see a model built that way, we dive in and check and sure enough, lo and behold, we'll find a spot where someone accidentally copied a formula all the way across through the annual column, instead of having the annuals go left, it's very dangerous to have changes in a formula within a given row. And so that's why you should have your quarters all together. Your annuals can be all together on a different sheet and all they do is aggregate the appropriate quarters, but we need to minimize errors and keep it clean that way. And then again, summarize later, have a nice summary table that shows Q1, 2, 3, 4 annual. That's fine, but don't model that way. That's one couple tips there.
0: Think you have company cash under control? You may have a process to pay people back, but company spending is so much more than expense claims. Spendesk gives you one system to replace your old fashioned company cards, track online payments easily, and process supplier invoices faster than ever. Whether you're a growing startup or you've been doing this for decades, it's never too late to upgrade. Graduate from basic expenses to spend management today. Try Spendesk.
1: And they are fantastic. I want to try to get one more from you before yeah. we let you go. Um, sure. Yeah, what, what's what's one other era I, that you're you're seeing all the time?
2: Sure. And again, I wouldn't call this so much an error, but, but an issue where there's all sorts of issues and it has to do with the structural design of the spreadsheet. I will tell you that when people build models, there are two general camps, two general categories. You can either build a spreadsheet model in what we call horizontally or vertically. A horizontally built spreadsheet model means that every component of the model was built on a separate sheet, a separate tab. And maybe your listeners can relate to, sometimes in models, you will have an income statement on its own sheet called income statement. And then the next sheet over is called the cash flow statement. And then the next sheet over in Excel is the balance sheet. So every component of the financial model is on its own sheet. Have you ever seen a spreadsheet that had like 30 or 40 or 50 different sheets or tabs on it? Maybe you have. Maybe you're listening. Can any of your listeners relate? Have any <laughs> of you ever seen a spreadsheet that had 30, 40, 50, 60 sheets on it? That's called a horizontal approach to designing a model where everything lives on its own sheet. Um, Again, it's not wrong to do that, but more often than not, that leads to all sorts of errors and frustration and challenges when people build, build, so why do people build that way? Well, because they think it makes sense because they think, well, it would be nice if I have my income statement on a separate tab and then I have my balance sheet right next door on a separate tab. It seems logical. It seems intuitive to build horizontally. Of course, the downfall, as you can imagine, is that when you do that, it means every single formula in the spreadsheet has to link to lots of different sheets. Every time you click on one cell, it says, I'm grabbing a number on one sheet and multiplying it by a number on a second sheet, and then dividing by a number on a third sheet. It becomes very difficult to track, to follow, and mistakes are made. What we recommend... Um, is taking a more vertical approach. And a vertical approach does not, it does not mean building the entire model on one sheet. That, that's that's too little. But it means using a manageable number of sheets. So I would like to recommend, you know, something like five, five to 10 sheets is kind of a manageable number. Um, you know, in our models, we'll often have a cover sheet and all of our, our executive summary will be on its own sheet and all the assumptions will be on one sheet. But most of the guts, the brains of the model, if you will, all the engine calculations, my financial statements, all of my calculations will live on one sheet called model, stacked vertically. So you might have all your revenue calculations in row one to 50. And that's all your revenues, nicely, neatly designed in the appropriate time periods. And directly underneath it, in rows, you know, 51 to 100, you might have all of your operating costs, or that could be—it could be 100. That could be a couple hundred rows. It can be as long. There's no limit. You know, you can go as long as you. And underneath that, you'll have the income statement, and underneath the income statement, you'll have the cash flow statement, and then the balance sheet. And if you think, and I know your most of your listeners are accountants, when you think of this, what it does is it creates what feels like a beautiful waterfall. As an example, every income statement in the world ends with net income. Well, every cash flow statement in the world begins with net income. So if they are directly on top of each other, then the net income on the cash flow simply links up five rows, and, it, and it's mm. easy to it's easy to link, it's easy to check, it's easy to audit. There's no way to make a mistake, um, and it's like it's just flowing down the page, right? Every cash flow statement begins with net income, and the cash flow statement always ends with the ending cash balance. Well, the balance sheet begins with the ending cash balance. And so it just links to the bottom of the cash flow statement. It becomes a beautiful system where it flows down and, and, it, and it talks to each other. It's easy to build, easy to check, and there's no issues. Now, I've got all sorts of tips I could deliver, share with you at another probably another time on how to navigate and how to find things. But, but what I'm trying to talk about is, you know, a couple of tips to leave with people is don't assume that the way your model was built is optimal. Don't assume that the way anything is, is the way it should be. It might've been ideal in one scenario years ago, but may not make sense now. Ask questions. Don't be embarrassed to say, why are we doing this this way? Is there a better way? And we talked about things like, you know, model periodicity, ask. Mm -hmm. Um, Make sure you're doing what's optimal for your needs. There's a good reason. And we talked about the tab structure. We have had so many clients call us and say, our models are unusable now. And why? So often because there are too many sheets, too many tabs in the file. Nobody's ever called us and said, oh my gosh, our model's a disaster. It's too tall. That's just never happened. <laughs> it's never <laughs> happened, <laughs> right? Uh, it's so clear. I understand every formula. It's all flows down the page. I, it's 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 impossible. No, that doesn't happen. Um, but yeah. the opposite does.
1: Wonderful. Uh, we are absolutely going to uh, have you up on that offer to do some sort of, I think, uh, modeling masterclass or 10 yeah, tips to, to nail your modeling um I guarantee the community would love that. Uh, So we're going to make that happen. I really want to thank you for your time, Ian, and for joining us on CFO Year.
2: Yeah, Patrick, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure to be here, and I thank you, listeners for sticking around and listening to all of this. Hope I gave you some uh, actionable tips. So we'll see you again. Absolutely. CFO Year is
1: brought to you by CFO Connect, the fastest growing global community for finance leaders. Join us for webinars and workshops, get our expert resources, and be a part of an exclusive Slack group just for CFOs. Join the community and exchange ideas with CFOs from the most exciting companies in the world. Just visit cfoconnect.eu